Hi, everybody. I'm Heather, a 30-year career model and fit model at an exact size six. And I'm writing a book to share tips I've learned throughout the years to help you find your own version of perfect. While editing the book, I'm inviting guests to not only share what works for me, but to share other people's passions and knowledge around fitness, nutrition, wellness, and fashion. And today I'm interviewing my good friend, Teresa McClure Genovese, independently licensed therapist in Ohio, specializing in diagnosing and treating eating disorders. Teresa, welcome to the Paid to Be Perfect podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for doing this. This is a really important topic. And I'm so happy to have you here. So my background in modeling and fit modeling, as you know, has given me a more objective perspective in relationship to weight and body measurements than most people, I think, most women. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's just a little different headspace about it. So I actually encourage women in my book to think about what they're eating, how they're eating, to plan ahead for treats and more because I think it's important to think about nutrition in a healthy way. So my first question for you is, how do you know when thinking about your food intake becomes obsessive? Because I've always thought about eating disorders as restricting, but also is obsessively thinking about food, what an eating disorder actually is, or if not, what is a good definition of an eating disorder? Since I think most of us know it can encompass either you know, severely restricting or binging or purging or both. And I know that's a lot to unpack here um, to start off with. And that was more than one question. So let's get right to it. What are your thoughts around all of that and more? Okay. So um, yeah, that is a lot to unpack. So um, when any time we are learning a new skill or trying to develop a new habit, there's a lot of time and energy that goes into setting it up. You know, whether you're learning to play a new instrument or training for a 5K, it takes a lot of your time and energy and resources to get that skill going. But if when you get to the goal or you plateau in in mastering the skill and that you're still obsessed with it and you don't seem like you can control it, you, you might actually have a problem. And so when we think about diagnosing any mental condition, we're usually looking for two different um, categories. We're thinking about, is this distressing and does it cause impairment? So if a thought or a behavior is causing you some significant distress, like you're having some undue guilt or shame around it, I'm not doing enough, I'm doing too much, I failed, um, you know, or if it's creating impairment in your ability to function in an important domain in your life, like work or school or your relationships or daily tasks, then we're noticing that there's impairment. And then with eating disorders, you can also add medical complications under that impairment. Maybe there's cardiac, car, car, cardiac, right? <laughs> sorry, um, heart problems, loss of uh-huh. your period, dental issues, osteopenia, osteoporosis. Uh, these might be some of the the things that you're seeing where it might be time to talk to somebody about your eating, your exercise, managing your how you're managing your weight. Right. If your body is malnourished, uh, at some level, it's going to be screaming for proper nutrition. Yes. Um, even if your brain can't hear it, you're going to see the, those physical effects, and that's definitely. Uh, you know, something that, that you can't ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually, I feel like as a society, we've gotten so far away from listening to our bodies. Um, but at the, at the same time, I'm sure it's hard for your brain to know what to do to get out of that cycle when you're in the cycle. So is there, I don't know, is there a spectrum to eating disorders? For example, 
Like, is it a yes or no to whether you have an eating disorder or not? Or are there different levels along a spectrum as, uh, as in you definitely have an eating disorder versus you may be prone to developing an, an eating disorder? Well, we know that there are certain traits that definitely um, will push somebody to the farther end of the spectrum. But I do think of it as a spectrum because we all mm-hmm. live in this world that's saturated with diet. Uh, diet mm-hmm. talk, negative body talk, conflicting messages about nutrition, and definitely um, it's not built for all body types. You know, there isn't space and room and acceptance for all body types. So and social media can't help that, oh, especially goodness. for all the, the girls growing up in today's times, you know. For sure. Yeah. There's some, there's some really nice safe places on social media that you can find some, some wonderful body positive um, talk, but yeah, for the most part, we're seeing a lot more problems around body image with filters and, and all of the different um, influencers and products. So um, I do think we do live on a spectrum and anytime we find ourselves thinking about our food or our bodies and using these external measurements Uh, For Mm -hmm. decision-making, we are engaging in disordered eating. If it's not coming Mm -hmm. from our internal cues and listening to what our body needs in the moment, then we are engaging in disordered eating. And so that's at one end. The opposite end would be an eating disorder where we do know from functional MRI studies, there are significant brain changes that happen at that end of the spectrum that cause distortions in Um, how you think about food, how you feel about food, uh, inability to perceive internal cues, even disordered um, visual perceptions of what your body looks like. From looking into a mirror, you you don't see what's actually there. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can, Can an eating disorder be completely cured or do you need to always have an awareness of your personal triggers around food? Well, I think that um, I always hold hope for everyone to recover from an eating disorder. And Mm -hmm. and there's definitely research that says that recovery is completely possible. Um, What I usually talk to my clients about and fall back on is a really famous study from World War II called the Minnesota Starvation Experiment done by Ansel Keys, where he... um, he took a group of subjects that were volunteers and they systematically starved them to study the psychological effects of starvation and then refed them. That doesn't sound very um, (laughs) illegal. (laughs) Well, not today. It wouldn't be, it would not be today. There are a lot more human study protocols in place now. Um, But in, in world war two, you know, we had uh, starvation happening all around the world and they really wanted to know what was the most efficient way to use resources to refeed people as they're coming out of um, war-torn communities and concentration camps and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, here at home when there was rationing. So they really wanted to find the most efficient way to take care of and rehabilitate people suffering with starvation. And what they learned from this is that every single subject in the study actually developed symptoms that we would now classify as an eating disorder from their thoughts and their behaviors and their perceptions. They were all struggling because of the malnutrition to their brain. Wow. So was this a wide um, variety of ages? Because I was wondering if an eating disorder is most likely to pop up in your teens when your body is changing and when you feel more insecure or maybe even as a young adult, but um, how common is it to later in life? and, And what are the signs to look out for for that? 
Well, you know, most people know about eating disorders because we've seen um, movies and images of young women who are suffering from anorexia, where they're starving mm-hmm. themselves, or bulimia, where they're taking in large quantities, quantities of food and then purging them, um, whether it's through self-induced vomiting or diet, diuretics, laxatives, compulsive exercise. And so that's what most people think of when they think about eating disorders, but they actually can happen at any stage of life um, when your brain is being deprived of nutrients. So uh, a lot of times that people might experience that is, you know, going on a diet, uh, stress from a major life transition, maybe um, experiencing the food deprivation, nutrient deprivation that comes after bariatric surgery. It can happen at any stage of life. And we are seeing more and more research being done on older adults. In fact, a paper that uh, just came out last year talks about um, women in their 50s. And overall, about 8% of women in their 50s probably are struggling with an eating disorder. And a quarter of them, it's for the first time in their life. That's really interesting because that is when I just turned 50 last summer. And I will tell you that that is when you get another metabolism shift, or at least I did, you know. Um, so I can I can see how that would happen if I didn't have, you know, strong um, workout habits and eating habits in place. I can see, you know, because your, your body's like a little, it's changing, you know. It's another mm-hmm. time of change in your life. So I'm not, I'm not actually surprised that that's interesting. Yeah. Um, So what is the best approach uh, if you think you need help with an eating disorder at any age? Well, first of all, admitting that you need help takes a lot of courage. This is an eating, uh, this is a disorder that is extremely isolating. There's a lot of shame around it and there's a lot of confusion around it. Why can't I just feed myself? Why can't I get this right? Why do I keep failing? Mm -hmm. Um, So talking to a supportive friend or a family member is always a great step because you don't want to go it alone. It's really hard when you have to eat three to six times a day and your brain is telling you that there's something wrong with that. So having a supportive loved one throughout the process is really, really valuable in, in positive outcomes. Um, once you've got that, there are some other resources. I say definitely look for a therapist with um, eating disorder background, like significant postgraduate work, because this is not something we're taught about in our basic training. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, I mean, we have as much information about eating disorders as the general public coming out of our, our general licensure. So you want to look for somebody who's done, who's worked at a credible center. I did my fellowship here in Columbus at the Center for Balanced Living, um, you know, or some other um, significant training around eating disorders. There's also several reputable um, facilities, clinics with different levels of care from outpatient through residential care, because um, research shows that the higher level of care you get at the beginning, the better your outcomes. You know, a lot of people like to fail upwards mm-hmm. in their in their in their therapy. Like, okay, so outpatient didn't work. Okay, fine, I'll try um, a partial hospitalization program or an intensive outpatient program. Um, but really, if you could start the other way around, you have better outcomes. That so just dive in feet first and just go for it and try to then scale back after. Yes, that's really um, showing to, 
to have a lot of success when it comes to eating disorders. So basically, so you like really a, are retraining your brain. Yeah, like a complete disruption in your normal routine um, is probably mm-hmm. the best the best initial approach. Um, well, therapy is good uh, for not only an eating disorder, but for life itself. And uh, if insurance oh, if sure. insurance covers it all, the better. But are there some good uh, free options for those needing help but can't afford treatment? Um. You know, access to medical or mental health care is really always a challenge for a lot of people mm-hmm. when they don't have insurance or adequate insurance coverage. So there are resources that we try to help um, connect people with. Um, NIDA, the National Eating Disorder Association, and ANAD have free support groups. And they have directories of therapists that you can look up therapists there. Um, There are some organizations that offer sliding scale fees, um, payment plans, and scholarships. Mm -hmm. There's a nonprofit I just learned about called the uh, Kirsten Hagland Foundation. Can you repeat that? She's a former Miss America. Yeah, sorry. There was a little glitch, I think. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead and say that again. Yeah. Kirsten Hagland Foundation. Okay. And she's a former Miss America who provides, uh, her foundation provides scholarships and resources for people who need eating disorder treatment. That's amazing. That's, that's great. How do you yes. spell the last name? H-A-G-L-U-N-D. L-U-N-D. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Well, last yeah. but not least, I believe um, that acceptance and embracing and loving our own unique bodies and minds and souls and hopes and dreams helps to shape our own unique perfect and our individual Mm. lives. So my last question for you is what does your perfect look like? Oh my. So during (laughs) this pandemic year, I've learned that perfect looks a lot different than I thought it did before. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we're all here living and working in the same space for a long period of time and uh, nothing is ever complete or, or, or quiet for very long. So I find, um, For me, perfect is finding a gentler way to flow. And that's flowing between work and home and um, taking joy in the moments. Moments when the laundry is all done before you find that last sock. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then sometimes it's it's letting go of all of that and taking a walk or just drinking my coffee while it's still warm. Yes. I love that. I love a gentler way to flow and, uh, and time back into eating in general, just a gentle, mm-hmm. a gentler way to, uh, to approach nutrition, you know, a gentler a way to approach, um, your workout routine, you know, just being gentle, yes. gentle with yourself, period. I think that's, that's wonderful because I think we all, especially moms and women, you know, we, we put so much pressure on our, ourselves. So I think a gentler oh, way to flow is going to be my new I know mantra. I love that. That's so good. Um, well, I love seeing the similarities as well as the differences in other people's versions of perfect because, you know, there is no absolute one true perfect that is universal to everyone. So thank you for sharing your perfect and thank oh. you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. And before we close this out, I also want to mention that I have known you, um, just letting our listeners know that I've I've known you since our kids uh, were BFF since kindergarten. And it's so interesting to me because we have never had this conversation before that we just had now, which was absolutely fascinating. And I can't believe we've never talked in depth about about this over the years, um, because I know all about what your kids are up to and how they're doing with ski lessons. And I know what you did for Christmas and what your work schedule is and where you're going on vacation and whatnot. But uh, to get this deep um, 
into all of this with you with this level was amazing. And I so appreciate your time and your energy as well as your friendship. So thank you again for being oh, here thanks. and sharing all this info. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you were here. And thank you all for listening to the Paid to Be Perfect podcast. Ask questions or give your ideas for what you want to hear. And please like and follow the Paid to Be Perfect podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Google, the Instagram account at Fit Model Secrets. And also check out Facebook and Twitter at Paid to Be Perfect. Stay tuned for more, including info about the eventual book release that shares all of my nutrition, fitness, and wellness habits. And remember, you're perfect.